Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Welcome to Military Network Radio. We are very, very glad that you have joined us today. We have a very intense, interesting interview today. I've got Pam Eggleston joining me as co-host. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, Linda. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Great, great. Today, we are going to be talking about Tango on the Balcony with producer-director Minos Pappas and producer Michael Day, also a Marine veteran. Tango on the Balcony is a short film, and it's really powerful, and I promise you now that I will try very hard not to have spoiler alerts here, but it is an authentic portrayal of the veteran experience and transition, and then the larger concept of adjusting after trauma. So everything that goes with that, self-medicating, moral injury, a different world when you get back home, anxiety, loss, grief, just a few small topics. And we are delighted to have them with us today. This is a film, Tango in the Balcony, that will be aired at the GI Film Festival in D.C. and elsewhere, but I'll let Minos tell you about that. But we are very glad to welcome both Minos and Michael to the show today. Good morning. Welcome to Military Network Radio. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, Pam. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, Minos, you're in New York City, and Michael, you're in Zurich. Oh, I'm actually back in New York City now. And good morning to you, Linda, and good morning to you, Pamela, as well. <laughs> oh, good morning. Darn, it was our first show from Switzerland, but okay. Uh. Um, that's just fine. It's hard to keep track of Michael. He's always uh, bouncing around the world. I'm noticing that, absolutely. Let's start out with why you wanted to make this film and how it came about. I don't know which to direct that to. Uh, well, I, um, I I have to say that I'm originally from Cyprus, uh, mm-hmm. in Europe, and I served in uh, the military there. We do a two-year mandatory uh, military service, um, and everybody does that. Everybody uh, at 18 years old does mandatory military service. Um, all the men, and then uh, the women do uh, some uh, civil uh, defense um, exercises. Um, but we, but my my experience there back home, and this is 20 years ago, I coming out of the military there, everyone knew what was happening. Everyone knew, everyone was on the same page. And then um, after having lived here for 15, 16 years, I noticed that although I was trying to keep up with uh, what was going on with uh, uh, the wars and military affairs, it was very difficult for me regarding media coverage and then also to, uh, to get a clear picture, let's say. And also mm-hmm. I felt like a lot of civilians like myself here in New York were sort of um, cut off. There was, a, there was that, you know, the, the military-civilian divide that, that kept people, um, sort of held them unaware um, of of what was happening with uh, service members and especially with veterans um, returning and transitioning to civilian life. So for me, that was a motive to start researching the subject matter. And I was very lucky because I joined up with um, a wonderful organization run by uh, Ben Patton, 
um, uh, the grandson of uh, General Patton. Right. And it's called IWasThereFilms.org, and they run filmmaking workshops for veterans and active uh, service members. Um, and uh, I was lucky enough on my first workshop to uh, where I was an instructor, film instructor, to meet uh, Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, we started a collaboration, and uh, Tango on the Balcony was developed. You know, it is a very powerful film. I will say this without spoiling anything. It lingers with you long after the last frame, which brings me to something that we haven't discussed prior to this program. Who do you feel is your prime audience? Because this is a complex question, actually. Who do you feel is your prime audience for this film? That is a very good question. And I think that it was challenging because it's a short film as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have to say it's not a documentary. It's a, it's a fictional film mm-hmm. um, based on research, uh, based on the research that Michael's brought to the table from his experiences and his experiences with other um, veterans and his colleagues and, and, and the experiences I've had um, working with veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the audience, I think, is both civilian and of military background. Um, but I think very, very much so civilian. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I just recently did a webinar with Columbia University about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, overwhelmingly, the, of the 300 people that were involved there, uh, about 286 were either civilians, uh, dependents, significant others of, of military members. And um, they expressed some tremendous intrigue and interest in, in the film and the themes that, uh, that uh, are presented throughout the course of the film. I, I agree. And I think that the other part of the reason I asked that question is because I think so often when people transition back, even family members are kept out of the dialogue to a certain degree because we don't either want to taint them with stories or we just are back home and we don't want to discuss things. But as I watched it, I work with a lot of families in the military. As I watched it, I kept thinking this will help families to understand more of what they went through. Talk about your use of actual film footage from combat. So I, although I'm a fan of war films, anti-war films, I should say, you know, the classics, uh, Deer Hunter and Born on the Fourth of July, and all you know, there's there's a host mm-hmm. of amazing films. I do think that um, <clears throat> even portraying uh, an anti-war scene, a combat scene on film in a fictional way, uh, t- can tend to glamorize um, combat and war, even unintentionally. Um, so the first reason for me was to try and avoid that, and that was a challenge, to avoid really uh, dramatizing any combat scenes. I mean, there's, only, there's only one shot, and that's through the, 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 um, the lens of uh, memory, let's say, through it's in, in, in the protagonist's memory. Mm-hmm. There's only one shot that, that is, is, a re, is a flashback, per se. Um, but uh, the second reason was also that this is a story of homecoming, and civilians, uh, from their perspective, will never experience what a combat veteran has experienced. So 
revealing that aspect to a civilian, I think, is unfair to veterans, if, if that makes sense in, uh, in what I'm saying. Elaborate on that a little bit, please. So what I'm saying is um, a, a civilian never gets to see exactly what is in a veteran's memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so by revealing that flashback um, in a film, I believe, it uh, creates a dialogue or gives the information that in real life civilians don't actually have. There's Good an point. unknown, the, the, the unknown of memory and of the experiences that uh, a veteran has been through that a civilian will never have access to. So I think it's not true to life to do that sort of, uh, that sort of flashback. No, but I think it's very helpful in terms of being able to give one expression of what it felt like to this one individual in the film. I guess the point I'm making is that when you view this film, it doesn't come across as fictionalized as much as it comes across as the culmination of a thousand returning warrior stories that we've heard. And the way it comes together is is in a wonderful tapestry of the stories and interweaving some of the other issues. I know that you had a large outreach process when you started to begin the process of making the film, and PTSD awareness was part of that campaign. Can you speak to that and some of the veterans organizations that you worked with and why that was important to you? I, I can speak to that, Minos. Uh, Go ahead. So uh, initially, the, the, this campaign to ra- raise awareness and to start sparking interest in the film began with a, during National PTSD Awareness Month. And what we did was we released an infographic with statistics and, and pertinent information about PTSD and veterans. And we released one every day throughout the month. And those can still be found on our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Tango on a Balcony or Tango Balcony. Um, and so we started to generate interest. Uh, we held script readings where we had both civilians and, and veterans present. And we were, I think uh, we ended up doing five, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Minos. And uh, so we were able to get a reaction yep. from both veterans and civilians about the script. It helped influence um, some things in the script, the feedback that we received. Uh, we moved forward with production and we had a crew uh, staffed of both veterans and civilians um, of important note. Our first assistant director was Neith Williams, a combat veteran, a Navy corpsman. Uh, and then we moved forward with engaging with partner organizations uh, because once we create once we created the film, we didn't want to leave people that were that that saw it kind of high and dry without mm-hmm. access to any resources. So, we par- partnered with several organizations: Disabled Veterans of America, as Minos mentioned. Uh, I was there. Films was, was in, involved. Um, uh, the Soldiers Project, War Writers Campaign, Peaceful Minds Project, Nine Line, the Society of Artistic Veterans, Veterans Advocacy Center, and Voices from War. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get more information about each of those organizations on our website, www.tangoonthebalcony.com. Um, and it's a nice mix of organizations that provide uh, all types of different resources, everything from crisis intervention, financial aid, all the way to therapy uh, through the Soldiers Project, um, to an array of 
uh, artistic organizations that are helping veterans process traumatic memories uh, mm -hmm. through different artistic mediums. No, fantastic. And we have only 30 seconds left, so I, I won't ask you another question at this point. I think that we are going to explore more on Tango on the Balcony after a very short break. But note that this is an authentic portrayal. It's it's very, very powerful and of great interest, and I urge you all to take advantage of seeing it. We're going on break now. We'll be right back. You're listening to Military Network Radio. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's marching well, skunks are making the news again. Seems everyone has a skunk story. A friend of mine was dozing on the couch on her patio when she felt something furry brush up against her hand. She thought it was her cat until she smelled a terrible odor. I was petting a skunk, she told me. What's a word for shocked? Timey-wimey. In Colorado, a wildlife officer was called to help a skunk whose head was stuck in a peanut butter jar. After tugging for 10 minutes, they finally freed the critter and it ran away without spraying anyone. Guess that was a fair trade, otherwise known as quitter for quarter. In Minnesota, it's illegal to tease a skunk. What's the word for teasing a skunk? Tan-tan tanning, port-wardling, and downright foolish. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're here with Minos Pappas and Michael Day. Uh, Producer-directors of Tango on the Balcony, a short film portraying the veteran experience upon return home. I, that's just a very broad portrayal. Um, Michael, why don't you give us a one, two-sentence overview of the film? Because we're talking in detail, and we don't want to give away spoilers, but I do want them to understand, our listeners to understand, what is the basic premise of the film? Okay, so uh, Tango on the Balcony is about Johnny. He's an Iraq war veteran who's wrestling with PTSD and has transitioned to civilian life. Uh, and that's seen through an exacerbated PTSD episode related to a specific traumatic memory that he experienced in Iraq. Uh, he's tormented by hypervigilance, insomnia, uh, and the lingering questions of his actions in combat and among among other symptoms that have to do with the exacerbated PTSD episode, um, he's he's visited fleetingly by uh, an apparition, a character Abdullah. Um, he Johnny tries to not let these questions that he has about uh, the traumatic incident crowd his mind, um, but. Abdullah's responses to his questions don't provide any kind of solid feedback that would give him any concrete answers. Um, and the film largely stays away uh, from the political side of, of, of war and uh, in an effort to allow the audience to, to make their 
own interpretations about what what is happening between the characters without um you know nationalism and patriotism and and those kind of themes hanging over their heads so right. uh, that that that's a short just i don't know if if uh if minos wants to add anything to that no i think i think that's great that's that's the synopsis yeah that is pretty much what the film is about how did you guys um, yeah. how did you guys come up with the title Tangle on the Balcony? Uh, well, that's a I, very good question. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, it's just a nice it makes you want to Tangle on the Balcony makes me want I'm interested. thank you. I mean, there there's the there's the um NATO phonetic alphabet um uh, meaning for tango, a T, and very often ta- uh, target, meaning target. Mm-hmm. Um, but also a tango, uh, the, the word tango being a dance, it sort of, um, for me, it, it sets up um, the relationship between Johnny, the veteran, and Abdullah, this Iraqi mm-hmm. teenager who uh, who comes back to... Uh, who is still present in his life. I don't want to say haunt him, but he's still present in his life. And they have this relationship that's almost like a like a dance. They go back and forth. There's um times when they have things in common and times when they when they, you know, hate each other. Wow. It's very complex and I, I think the interesting part is it um it even takes into account all of the hypervigilance through the eyes of the veteran. And I, I think that's extremely valid. People talk about they don't want to go to a, a crowded place any longer. They see a backpack. They see someone who's looking sideways at them. It was very, very realistic in those terms. One of the things I think was also very poignant about the initial part as we started in to the film was the concept that so few talk about, which is the the ambiguous loss when one experiences moral injury. And moral injury is just something not really discussed too often. And I know that you did discuss that with your veterans organizations because it is threaded through the film throughout. So perhaps you could speak a few words on that, Minos? Yeah, I mean, I think the it's interesting because the the issue of moral injury, I think, just evolved organically as we were developing the film. I don't think we really set out and said, "Let's make a film about moral injury." Mm-hmm. But by by putting together this story, which I hope is representative of of um, of an authentic experience that many veterans have had, and I mean, I've heard similar stories from from veterans who've experienced traumatic incidents in combat. Um, the hope is that, um, uh, or rather I should say, that the moral injury just, just came out of it. Just by creating the situation, by addressing the issues, suddenly the moral injury was quite clear and quite obvious. And I agree, mm-hmm. it's not, not discussed as, uh, as much as it should be. And yet it's very, very prevalent. And when it is voice, people understand it. And I, I think the other issue was the, the grief, the loss. Um, you lo- there's definitely a loss of innocence, but 
that also came through. Uh, so many topics came through yeah. in your film that that you almost that have was, to process it later. I did process it later. I'm still processing it. Yeah. Um, well, it that was intentional. Sorry to, to interrupt. But that was that was actually intentional. The loss of innocence mm-hmm. because Good. when we were casting the film, um, we had we saw so many actors, wonderful actors in New York who uh, were going to play, who wanted to play Johnny and Abdullah. And mm-hmm. the trick when you're casting is to not only find good actors for the for their specific roles, but actors that will have chemistry with each other. Mm-hmm. And we picked two actors that are excellent actors, but they also bear some sort of general resemblance. It's almost as if Abdullah is a younger version of Johnny, in mm-hmm. my mind. And uh, in a way... Johnny has damaged a part of himself um, uh, by killing Abdullah. Uh, and it's something that will never come back, that will never come back to him, and he has to struggle to heal with it and live with it. So for me, that was a very conscious choice, the similarity between the two. And you could even go forth and say that the third character, there is a third character. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be an older version of Abdullah, uh, of what Abdullah could have, you know, how, how he would have, what he would have grown up to become. And that had he not gone to war. Theme. Had he not, yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I love the energy, though, in each of them. Uh, in Johnny, there was this tremendous pent-up energy as he was trying to assimilate back into society and yet remain hyper-vigilant and, and trying to wrestle with all of these additional thoughts. Um, Michael, do you want to speak to that? Uh, absolutely. And to speak to the authenticity that, that uh, Aristotle Stamat puts into the role, mm-hmm. um, I was sitting next to him at one of the script readings, and, and I actually, uh, not to sound corny, I shed a tear. I, I actually, when he was doing the script reading, I felt as though I was sitting next to one of my fellow Marines that mm-hmm. had gone through those circumstances. Uh, and the and the the his performance is outstanding, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that you know you as a civilian recognize how powerful his performance is playing the role of a veteran, and you know we're ob- obviously I'm a combat veteran, and if I can feel the power of his performance, I think it's going to translate well uh, across a broad audience. Absolutely, when you were choosing. Um, the self-medication, that all came to you because of experiences, I'm certain, that were shared because it's a very common experience about self-medicating, making yourself numb, isolating oneself. All of those themes are within the film. And again, very authentic in terms of his portrayal. Um, Was that difficult as you went through to film? Were certain parts of the film more difficult to film than others? Uh, Me, uh, are you you speaking to me, Linda? Uh, Actually, either one of you can take the question. Go ahead, Michael, go ahead. I I will have to say that there were a couple moments when I did feel like I had to step away because things did feel a little too real. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, we had a tremendous crew, uh, just an outstanding crew, um, where all the veterans that were, were working as crew members um, felt comfortable being on set. And we realized the importance of, of telling this story and being able to have the flexibility to tell the story in a manner that Hollywood has not yet done 
to my satisfaction personally as a mm-hmm. as a veteran and even the indie indie world as well. Um, so I, yeah, yes, at times it it was it was a little too real for me. But I think that speaks volumes to the the quality of the direction um, and the quality of the script and the quality of of the content. I absolutely general. agree. I absolutely agree. One of the other things that threads its way into the film is the use of helmet camera footage taken directly from the view of the veteran. And I think that this is quite common. But that was also very, very powerful. And that was a tormenting factor for Johnny. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's drawn directly from um, from an experience I had with a with a veteran where who I I just witnessed it in front of me. He, he had uh, he was using some uh, helmet camera footage to uh, to make a, a film of his own at one of the workshops I was doing, and I could see how the footage excited him. He uh, he loved it. He thought it was, you know, he was, he was back there, he was active again, he was positive, um, uh, but at the same time, it was also uh, very disturbing to him, because there were, you know, very, um, very uh, edgy, sort of close-to-death moments in that footage, mm-hmm. too, so there was this uh, dual relationship that he had with the footage, and also the, this this relationship that with memory as well as video. So video is the still, it's from a certain point of view, it's on the screen. So he can have that and he can keep it for the rest of his life or he can delete it, it's up to him. But memory doesn't give you that chance. Uh, Memory is with you and I think studies show that that actually, uh, obviously your memory changes over time and you're actually remembering the last time you remembered something and it goes through this prism that just keeps changing and evolving. And, but you can never really get away from it. It just adapts, adapts with you. Absolutely. So touching on those, on those subjects, I think, was, was extremely important. I think memory and video and uh, it's definitely something I, I, I think we, we touched on it and it deserves a lot of exploration. Mm-hmm. Pam, you had a question? Um, I don't have a question. I just wanted to say that I think it's really um, important to note that you both tried to tackle um, issues that have been uh, addressed in film and television and that kind of thing um, in a way that that I guess you weren't satisfied with, and that's what I'm hearing, um, and that you tried to do something that was a little bit different. And actually, what I liked about you giving the resources um, in the last segment was something that hasn't been done and doesn't leave the audience, i.e., whether that's civilians or military uh, families, uh, for instance, as Linda alluded to, would be um, also a good um, target audience for this film to say, okay, there's something that I can do about it or maybe do differently. Um, in this space. So I, I just wanted to make that comment. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think making a film is a conversation. It's part of the dialogue. We're not giving any definitive solutions. I don't think there are any right. definitive solutions, but we're portraying um, a problem in a situation. So uh, we definitely are part of the dialogue. We want to lead people somewhere good. Perfect ending. We are going to go on another short break, and we will be back with Minos Papas and Michael Day, producers of Tango on the Balcony. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. News Daily reported a story from Career Builder that gave some humorous examples of actual job interview blunders. One Boris Norris candidate decided to take off his shoes during the interview. Probably not the best idea, even if you don't have smelly feet or podobromhidrosis. Another job applicant brought a how-to-interview book with him to the interview. Then he asked, what company is this again? And my favorite, the candidate who asked for a sip of the interviewer's coffee. That won't cause a latte problems, and also it's a bit bumptious. And finally, one job applicant asked the interviewer if they could wrap it up quickly, because he had another appointment. And a special thanks to our armed forces, men and women serving at home and abroad. It's marching Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion with Minos Pappas and Michael Day, producers, directors of Tango on the Balcony, a wonderful new film that's going to be aired at the GI Film Festival in D.C. Pam had asked you a question earlier in the second segment about how different this film is and how you absolutely set out to do different things and having different effects with the film. Can you talk about some of those differences and what separates you from previous film efforts to try and portray this experience? Absolutely, yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, we think that um, there has been very few uh, films, whether they're independent or uh, Hollywood mainstream films that address these issues of um, veterans transitioning, or post-9-11 veterans especially, transition, transitioning to civilian life. Um, so uh, that was one of the main factors why we wanted to make the film. And as an independent film, as independent filmmakers, we, are, we can be... Um, we don't need to censor ourselves. We don't need to worry about the box office at the moment. You know, um, we, uh, like many of the Hollywood films, um, and we decided to to have our film live in the gray areas that that can be explored through an indie movie. Um, and uh, I wanted to put the audience in a very subjective point of view, subjective to the, to the lead character Johnny and what he's experiencing. So um, there are scenes of hypervigilance and of isolation where you and insomnia, where you really feel you, you you know you really feel what he's going through, and that's used with, with various techniques, um, camera angles that are interesting, and fast cutting, and uh, 
um, yeah, a lot of the street scenes, there's a street sequence at the beginning of the film where together with my sound designer, John Moros, uh, we underlaid uh, actual combat sounds under the street sounds. Um, so you can, you can hear that you can feel subliminally the threats that are coming towards, uh, Johnny from non, from a non-threatening environment, um, uh, which are, you know, which are potential triggers because of this hypervigilance. The same goes with the soundtrack, uh, Teo Zervas' score, um, brings in this very sort of, um, for me, his music is like a notion of the subconscious and, mm-hmm. uh, it was very much about what's below the surface of every scene. Uh, the music never tells a story. It's never melodic. It's never a ne- part of a narrative. It's always this, this subconscious, this very deep and dark subconscious. Um, so we were able to employ these techniques as independent filmmakers in order to put forward this, um, this, uh, this, this story. You know, you, I love the way you talked about the ocean of the subconscious because one of the things that I experienced while I was watching the film, it gave you waves of each of your senses, your sight. You could practically smell the dust in the desert. You could practically smell the unruly, rumpled room he was in. Um, he looked scruffy. Uh, there were all kinds of ways that you were engaging each of the senses for the viewer which was a really yeah, and excellent also, experience. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. There's also the, the, the factor of color. You know, we use mm-hmm. color very um, deliberately together with my production designer and producer and partner in life, Liz Sargent. We uh, developed a color palette um, of deep reds um, uh, and then sandy browns to use within um, Johnny's apartment uh, mm-hmm. To give the feeling that he was still uh, deployed, probably you know, in his mind he was still deployed. Um, he hadn't quite transitioned. And then, in, and then on the street, the colors are way too vibrant. They're way too you know bright, bright pinks and greens. And it was a lot of fun putting all the extras, many of whom are veterans, by the way. Oh, that's <laughs> an interesting in, fact. Yeah, <laughs> putting them all in <laughs> bright colors. Well, I think it's important that um, I, I think you need to re, restate that this film is kind of lies in the gray area, because as you had mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of Hollywood films have to do what they feel the money, where the money's going. So it's very black and white. It's very um, either or and absolute. And a lot of times, c- civilians. F- folks don't like that kind of gray area because it makes them think because it makes them have a conversation after for two hours, like Linda suggested, because it makes them feel because it makes them really, when you see it, you can't unsee it kind of thing. And so then you have to maybe be called or compelled to do something about what's happened in this film. So what are your thoughts on that? And in terms of people being comfortable with the gray area that you guys have um, delved into? That I think that that's precisely why this this film is needed. Uh, you know, as a as a combat veteran, you know, I've seen all the big blockbusters that have come out. You know, Hurt Locker and uh, American Sniper and films of that nature. When I left the theater uh, with fellow veterans or civilians, we didn't have a conversation about um, the the authenticity of the film or the importance of the film. It just it felt. Uh, too heavy 
handed in terms of those things I was talking about earlier that we tried to to avoid um, the ultra nationalist themes, you know, the uh, super patriotic themes. Not that those are not important things to be discussed, but um, rarely in any films I've seen as a veteran have I seen someone focus on a specific traumatic memory and focus on right. that throughout the entire course of the narrative. Um, right. And Minos can speak more to that uh, from his perspective as a director. But that's one thing that I appreciated about the script, and that's that's why I, I felt 100% comfortable as a veteran signing on with this project and helping Minos create it. Well, I think it's, as you guys mentioned, and I can't remember if it was Minos or Michael, you talk about the subconscious ocean. And really, you're looking to drop inward. You're really trying to look at this guy in, in a gray space of what he's really dealing with. And and honestly, I think a lot of people don't know how to handle that, even if they have veterans on their advisory you know, committees to, to inform certain aspects of the film. Th- that's really missing because I think that feeling, that, that sensorial, as, as Linda um, alluded, to earlier is hard to get at and I think that it's really really important to um, understand I love any talk about subconscious or anything I'm I, I uh, am a yoga instructor I work with veterans um, and do meditation and things like that so I really think it's important to talk about the gray area in that way you know what struck me yeah. is that it will help families understand oftentimes when vets come home their families are the least likely to help them because they simply don't understand that a certain period of time has to pass and then you're going to be better, right? And that isn't what happens. This gives an understanding and makes you think. It also builds a huge amount of sympathy, um, not in a bad way, but an empathy, a supportive, mm-hmm. what can I do to help? Because I didn't really understand until I saw that. And I think that goes for not only combat veterans, I think it goes for their their immediate family, of course, but I think it goes for their parents or their children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is so important because if you can keep the family unit on the same page, speaking the same language, that's vital towards healing. Interestingly enough, uh, I had mentioned that I I, um, was a discussant on a Columbia University School of Social Work webinar on PTSD. And I did a lot of research because I didn't know about family members, significant others, uh, friends, um, what what their reactions or how they respond to a veteran with PTSD, because I've only seen it from my point of view being a veteran. Um, and I've discovered that the majority of the symptoms that a veteran suffers through um, uh, having PTSD or traumatic brain injury are the same exact symptoms that family members and civilians yes. are, 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 are coping with. Um, so as, as they are watching this film, I think that the civilians, family members, significant others are going to be able to relate to what Johnny's going through without having actually gone through the physical experience, the traumatic, that specific traumatic memory. What I find to be beautiful is that if they do watch this film, then the veteran doesn't have to unpack every one of those emotions and lay them bare, which can be impossible for people to do sometimes. It just doesn't feel like they're saying it to the right audience or they are unsure of what the reactions will be. But if someone can watch your film and say, was your experience anything like that? A simple yes 
will mm-hmm. bring a greater understanding than all of the relentless questions that sometimes do occur because families want to help. They just don't know how to help. And this helps to explain the experience in a way that doesn't drain the veteran. Yes, definitely. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that. And I think it's, it's really in the responsibility of filmmakers and artists in general to talk about, uh, to discuss and add to the dialogue um, of social issues, issues that are um, uh, important to society and just make the world a better place. Not to be too cheesy, but <laughs> that's really no. Cheesy's good. <laughs> you know, cheesy is, cheesy is realistic and, and what we're all really thinking Um but no, I do think it's very valuable that way because there's a great deal of misunderstanding among sometimes the people closest to you. So this can be used as an educational tool. And the fact that it's 19 minutes long, if it were any longer than that, I think for some civilians, they might find it too uh, intense. But you yeah. want to experience at least something of what they may have gone through in order to better understand and and to show the love that you still have for them, but you just can't get through the same way communication-wise that you did prior to combat. War changes people. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And very often the homecoming, the coming home is is, is where that change is most evident. Mm And not always for the better. Right. Or at least initially. Yeah. The, the, the good news about PTS is that it can be better managed if it is dealt with in the beginning. Because you swallow it for too long and it becomes chronic and much more difficult to tease mm-hmm. out the reasons and the help. So I think that's all very, very important. We have about a minute before our break. Any uh, last comments on this particular segment about the separation of the film? I just want to uh, stress how important it was for me to work with veterans Mm -hmm. on the film. Um, When I set out interested in this topic, I knew immediately that I couldn't get what I needed from books and research, although there's been some wonderful things written. Um, So uh, I was very lucky to partner with Michael, but also bringing on um, uh, all the other veterans that worked on the film uh, in front of and behind the camera was imperative for me to understand and then to rely on them and ask them, you know, does this feel right to you? Does this feel good? You know, um, I, that to me was, was an amazing experience. And having a crew of veterans was incredible. I want to do it again on the next film I make, whether it's about veterans issues or not. It's a wonderful and, and, and if I could just say briefly, that kind of investment coming from a civilian. Hold that about- thought. I'm sorry, Michael. Hold that thought that we're going on another break. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Salt is in nearly everything we eat, and many times it makes food taste so delicious. Even though the 2010 Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommends limiting sodium to less than 2,300 milligrams a day, Men's Health Magazine states that the average American takes in about 3,300 milligrams of sodium every single day. Your body needs some sodium to function properly because it helps transmit nerve impulses. It influences the contraction and relaxation of muscles, and it helps maintain the right balance of fluids in your body. But most of us are getting far more sodium than is recommended. 
Check out the sodium content in the foods you are eating and limit soy sauce, Parmesan cheese, bacon, smoked salmon, ramen noodles, and salami. It's time to kick the habit of too much sodium. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. think engaging in small talk with prospective clients before business negotiations is a good idea? A new study from Nova Consulting Group suggests that it all depends on whether you are male or female. The study found that a little chatter by female professionals before a meeting will generally produce a positive image, but not always positive results. However, male professionals who begin negotiations with a little small talk usually glean favorable returns. This is because there is a preconception that women are already expected to be more communicative than men. And when a man makes small talk, he is perceived as friendlier and likable. But beware that bad or gossip will only get you into trouble. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Michael, you were cut off at our last commercial break, and we were talking about working with veterans on the film, and I believe you had a comment. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about the investment from a civilian in, in creating a, a product in Tango that explores these issues and, and just how powerful it was. And, you know, I met Minos, I think it's been close to three years now at I was there workshop at George Washington University. And he was doing research back then. Um, and to like, as I said, to see that kind of commitment from a civilian, although he is a veteran, not of the, the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it showed in the script readings when veterans came up to me and, and said, hey, I feel good about this pro- project. It showed uh, through my um, different veteran networks, through different art organizations. Um, when people approached me over various social media platforms hey, saying, hey, you know, is this is this a, a legit product? How do you feel about this? Or, or do you feel good about working on it? And I can, I could give them the same answer over and over again. That this 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 piece of art is vital. It's important. And the fact that someone that is not a veteran was the one that that wrote the script and created it, mm-hmm. um, and then enlisted the services uh, and help from from veterans to make it a, a collaborative piece of art. Uh, it just speaks volumes about uh, Minos and, and 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 what he's trying, what we are trying to accomplish with this film. I think it says a huge amount about the entire effort, because with the portrayal of such an authentic picture, with the use of veterans, with everyone feeling comfortable that this was an authentic experience, I believe that you're going to find a different response than is normally found to these types of films, which, as you say, in the past, they're valid, very good films, but they're different, and they're not in the same genre, basically, that you've put it in. Talk a bit about the GI Film Festival, what you're hoping to discover in that, and where it goes from here for both of you. So, yeah, the GI Film Festival is very exciting. We're premiering on uh, Sunday, May 29th. Um, at the uh, Angelica uh, Mosaic uh, Center. 
Um, it's a beautiful theater to be at, and the festival is in its 10th year. It's um, the 10th anniversary of the festival, so it's a landmark year for them. And mm-hmm. it's a wonderful festival that's been growing um, for the last 10 years and uh, showcasing the works of veterans and about veterans. Um, and it's a, it's, imp- it's a very important recognition for us to be at a, a festival that is so specific um, there's lots of wonderful independent film festivals, but to be in a specific festival about the topic that we made for me is the best recognition um, that uh, we've that we've accomplished something. And I'm very looking forward to, and also I have to admit, quite nervous, but looking forward to <laughs> the reaction of the audience because you know it's uh, it's going to be our first public screening, mm-hmm. um, our premiere. So I'm I'm uh, you know I'm uh, very much looking forward to see what people think, how people react to it in a theater. Um, so uh, yeah, and then after, or, or I should say, right before that. I will be in con with uh, one of the line producers that worked on the film, Konstantinos Nikiforou. We shot, actually shot a, a couple of scenes in Cyprus um, to make it look a bit like Iraq. Um, and uh, we were going to be in con. We have a film registered at the Short Film Corner, and we're going to be talking to various people in the business there because ultimately the plan is, is to make a feature film. Mm-hmm. Um, on this uh, on this subject, and to deal with veterans' transition to civilian life in a much broader way, and to deal with um, female veterans, and to deal with uh, spouses and families, and you know the job search and things like that. In other words, the excuse me, the continuing effort of transitioning back after combat. Yes, that's right. Wonderful. Um, in Washington, you'll be among others in the film festival. How many films are actually in the GI Film Festival this year? Uh, that's a good question. I don't remember, but there is, it is a week long, uh, a week of screenings. There are mm-hmm. feature films and short films. I believe mm-hmm. the short film program where Tango is featured has another six films or so. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a, an hour and a half program. Um, there's also, uh, on the opening night, there's a performance by, uh, uh, Gary Sinise's band, which is mm-hmm. going to be pretty awesome, <laughs> I guess. Um, He's wonderful. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> Lieutenant yeah. Dan band. Yes, exactly. Fantastic. Pam, have you gone to one of the film festivals? Um, I did a while ago. I know my husband goes, um, often and I, it seems like it falls on a day where, I had some other obligations, um, but I was just wondering, <clears throat> I mean, because it's notes over a course of a few days, right, uh, gentlemen? And then, you know, they showcase that you have these discussions after the film. So it's been a while. I'd like to go this year, mm-hmm. if I can. Yeah, I'm well, we sure have... it's going to be a wonderful program. Okay. It absolutely sounds like a wonderful Maybe. program. How <laughs> do people find out more about your film, the the uh, teaser, the trailer, Um What's the best way to find out more about the film before it's actually aired and, and made public? Well, you can certainly go to the website. That's www.tangoonthebalcony.com. Uh, the trailer, teaser trailers on there, as well as all the information about our, our partner organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Facebook page that has the images, the infographics I was discussing earlier is facebook.com backslash Tango Balcony. Uh, the, our Twitter page is twitter.com backslash Tango Balcony. Uh, I think those are probably the best 
places to go. Um, yeah. Did you have Did you um, have anything the, to add, Minos? The Facebook page is a wonderful place to visit. We've got a lot of good things up there. We've got behind-the-scenes shots from the shoots. We've got mm -hmm. uh, bills from the film. We've got the teaser. We're also doing a web series that um, uh, features most of, um, sorry, all of our um, partner organizations. We've got two episodes of that web series um, that are up on the Facebook page. So that's facebook.com slash Tango Balcony. But also, uh, people can check out the GI Film Festival, and that's at gifilmfestival.com. There's a mm -hmm. full program there and a schedule, and people, I think tickets are on sale already, so um, people can, um, can, um, can uh, visit that and take a look at the schedule. And also, keep a lookout for the film um, where, you, where people are, because uh, uh, we're submitting to many, many film festivals. We want to get this seen around the country, um, and have this discussion with, uh, with people everywhere. So uh, we won't just be in D.C. Hopefully after that we'll be in New York, maybe on the West Coast. So uh, uh, Tango on the Balcony hopefully is coming to a theater near you very soon. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Uh, we have a few more minutes. Are there any thoughts that we didn't cover that you think are vital for people to understand and to further intrigue them and compel them to watch the film? I think we've covered things very well. I mean, I, I think it's important to say that this is, although it is a fictional film, it's based on thorough research and uh, experiences, real experiences. Um, so people are going to see something different. Uh, and I think it rings true with, with, with many, many veterans. And um, I, just, I, hope that, uh, I, hope that we, I hope that we find that audiences react positively to that as well. Civilians I think as well as veterans. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I think one of the most intriguing things that you did was to leave the film open to interpretation. You've got tons of issues, as we've already discussed throughout this hour-long program, but you've left it open for the audience to interpret it through their own lens and to understand it through their own experiences and perspective. So the meaning of things can be taken in a number of different ways. Now, that was a deliberate technique, wasn't it? That was, absolutely. I mean, one of the issues that we talked about earlier with Hollywood films is that they define so many things and they make it easier for the audience. They Basically, they provide closure. But these issues don't have closure necessarily. So uh, I think it was very important to, to leave them open-ended, um, to present the situation and let the audience judge uh, whether they think it's uh, uh, wrong or right or however they feel about it in the middle. Um, and uh, that was definitely deliberate, especially the ending, especially the relationship with Abdullah, uh, Johnny's relationship with Abdullah. Yes, it goes back and forth. And, well, even when you have the, um, toward the end of the film, you, you have more of an assimilation into a regular uh, civilian experience, and even that was open to interpretation about how does one interact in the, quote, real world again versus in a combat world because your view internally is consistently changed after you've gone through a traumatic experience, especially that of combat. Would you say that that was uh, revelatory to you or was that always something you wanted to portray in the film? No, the ending was rewritten numerous times. <laughs> ah, um, okay. Well, you hit it, I think. 
Yeah. <laughs> the ending was an exploration, and we, we uh, to arrive at the ending, you know, we discussed it with various readers, and with Michael and I went back and forth on, on the dialogue at the end, but it was, it was to find the right amount of gray, speaking of gray, you know, it's like, how gray is it going to be? <laughs> how gray is gray? Um, and it was, it was, it was, it was, it was definitely deliberate to keep it open-ended like that. Minos? Go ahead, Michael. I think Michael. Oh, I'm sorry, Michael. I missed oh, you. Uh, yeah, just the, the lack of finality uh, allows us to continue to have that conversation that it, where the, where fa- things do fall into the gray area and get lost, uh, including veteran suicide, veteran homelessness, substance abuse issues that really should be talked about, you know, on, on the national scale, but our veterans are not feeling they're talked about sufficiently. Um, and uh, yeah, it was extremely important to leave it open-ended and allow the audience to to have walk away with their own interpretation so these conversations can start taking place. You're absolutely right. Conversations need to take place and communication needs to also connect. Mm-hmm. And exactly. if, when you can connect, which I believe that you did very ably in this film, I think it makes a huge difference. I want to thank both of you, Minos Papas, Michael Day, the producer's director of Tango on the Balcony, a new short film that will be shown at the GI Film Festival in Washington. Tell us that date again. It is May Sunday, May 29th. Sunday, May 29th at the Angelica Center. Uh, this is the GI Film Festival, and it's a very important recognition of this very authentic war film. Uh, any last words before we close the program? If you're a veteran, you should be seeing this film. If you're a civilian, you should be seeing this film. Fantastic. Thank you (laughs) all for listening to Military Network Radio. And we will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com. And in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your